Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca. Hey everyone, it's Courtney. On this week's episode, we're talking to Ross Breitkreitz, a pastor and author in Canada. Ross has a Christmas special called Chasing Christmas, where he travels around the country sharing the Christmas story in a way that many people have never heard. In this episode, Ross shares about what Chasing Christmas is all about and why it's an important and unique ministry. You'll hear Ross and Daniel break down how Christmas doesn't just start in the New Testament and with the birth of Jesus. And just before we jump into this episode, I wanted to mention that Daniel, Isaac, and Joshua each have a Christmas video that's airing over the holidays, and those are all available online. Each one focuses on a different aspect of Christmas, but focuses in on the collective vision for Christmas that each of us should have during this season. So Merry Christmas, and I hope you enjoy this episode with Daniel and Ross Breitkreitz. Hey, welcome to the In Doubt Podcast. I am Daniel Markin. Good to be with you. And I'm joined today with Ross Breitkreitz. Yes. Now, Ross, I nailed it, didn't I? You absolutely crushed it. And uh, we have, maybe it was recorded in the previous show notes, but I, I had to practice it a few times. But, <laughs> it's all right. But you were really gracious and you said, like, you don't get offended. So No, no, you can't um, grow up with a last name like that and expect everyone to nail it. Um, well, Ross, we're excited to have you on. But first of all, let's just let our audience know who you are and, and kind of what you do and and some of what your ministry is. So I am kind of like a mixed bag when it comes to ministry. I am an accredited pastor through a denomination here in BC and that actually stretches across Canada. So I fill in and I do pastoral here and there. But what I primarily do for work and what takes up most of my time is I'm a touring speaker. So kind of like musicians obviously go on tour and they tour their albums i have a speaking event that's called seven mile story and i spend a lot of the time on the road going to churches and presenting that sweet and then did you grow up in the church i did okay yeah i actually grew up in the denomination that i'm now accredited through and uh, you've shared in other places but did you always know that you wanted to kind of get into this pastoral ministry or what was the original plan Man, if my if my family and friends that I grew up with could hear you ask that question, you'd just hear laughter in the background right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyone, anyone who knew me growing up, like there's not a single person who would have pegged me to be a pastor. I still meet teachers from high school who like laugh. Yeah, because they're in absolute shock and disbelief. Um, I was, uh, I just want to be a hockey player. I had a fairly successful career in hockey. Mm-hmm. Ended up actually signing a pro contract in Germany and went over there. And I thought that was going to be my life. Cool. Um, but I felt God place a call on my life that was undeniable and I gave it all up. I didn't know for what exactly, but it turned out to be writing and speaking. My, my story has been an absolute mixed bag. I wrote my book about five, six years ago, got it accepted, got it published. Okay. And then right as everything started to take off, my mom got really sick. Okay. So I shelved everything. Ran my dad's company for a year while we took care of my mom. She ended up passing. Ran Sorry. my dad's company for another year while we kind of grieved the loss of my mom. And then I had 5,000 books sitting in his garage, no way to push them. And then I ended up taking over managing a hotel in my hometown for two more years because I had no way to make money. 
and then actually got signed on as an artist with the Gideons International okay. out of nowhere. And that is what kind of gave me a foundation to get back in to writing and speaking again. So, And that's only been the last couple of years. So you, and then, so you speak, is it kind of in tandem with your book? Yeah. So everything that I want to do in ministry is I want to help people uh, experience the Bible as one seamless story. Okay. I don't want them to approach it like, oh, that's Old Testament, that's New Testament. I want them to see that from the very beginning, from the words in the beginning to the words it is finished, there is a seamless, unbroken narrative throughout the entire book. And I want people to encounter it that way. So I started writing that way. And then as my passion for that grew, and as I started to discuss it more with people inside and outside of the church, I realized how unaware people are of the piercing narrative in scripture. So I designed this speaking event where in a single evening, I take people through the entire Bible, showing them the intimate connection of all of the prophets, all of the historical letters, even the Psalms, Mm -hmm. everything. Yeah, a lot of people in the church nowadays, um, our understanding of the Bible uh, isn't as strong as it probably was in past generations, and you could blame a lot of different reasons for that. But one of the things that I've been fascinated with recently is this idea of of a Christian memory, and that Mm -hmm. in Canada, I don't think we can assume anymore that people, that they have any idea of what the Bible even really teaches, Uh, which is, so like most people, maybe they're like, they're just, they're just very secular and not to just like, cause we can, as Christians be like, the secular is so bad, the secular is so bad. I think for, for most people, they just have no idea what the Bible is. They're like, they think it's like, oh, it's an old book. And my grandpa and grandma, they went to church, but I didn't grow up going to church. So you tell them, you ask them who Moses is and they're like, I, I don't know. Or like. Adam and Eve, they have a vague idea. They're like, oh, yeah, it's like with an apple or something, right? And, yeah. Or they, they see like, oh, yeah, Kanye believes in Jesus. Yeah. But you know what I mean? But like in fairness to them, they just really have no idea. So I think what you're getting at with, with story is so big because we go watch movies because we like stories. Yep. Right? Everyone does that. And so I think you're on to something with, with storytelling. Yeah, thank and, you. And uh, I think that's sweet. And so right now you're traveling, speaking on the Christmas story, and that's kind of where I wanted to go today and also just hear kind of like how, how you explain and, and what you share when you tell the Christmas story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the big, one of the biggest things for me as I've been doing the very best that I can every time I read the Bible to go to every single verse in the context of like the larger narrative and realizing that when we come to the Christmas story, when we come to uh, even the earliest parts of the Christmas story, the beginning of the New Testament is with the angel coming to Mary and telling her that she will be with child. And a lot of people think like that's the Christmas story, but they don't realize that that story lands like three quarters away through the larger narrative. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that I kind of frame my entire Christmas speaking event around is why? Why did the angels come and celebrate the arrival of that baby? Mm. Why? And a lot of people will just answer, well, because it was Jesus. Yeah, it's the newborn king. It's 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 what you do for a king, right? Exactly. But I'm like, yeah, it was Jesus, but we only know that after. Mm -hmm. In the moment those angels were singing, what had he done other than just been born a little baby? What were they celebrating? Mm -hmm. And if you don't know the whole story, you don't understand that those angels were celebrating the fact that he was representing the fulfillment of a promise that was over 2,000 years old 
on the day of his birth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that the weight that you lose in that story when you don't understand and you don't even take a minute to taste what the Israelite people had been through, everything that God had endured in order to fulfill the promise that he made that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Short of that, I just I think we're always going to fall short of truly comprehending the weight of what Christmas is. And, and that's why I call my events Chasing Christmas, because it has been God's relentless pursuit and chase of the promise that he made to give us a savior. Mm-hmm. So Christmas, even though it wasn't given the title until years later, Christmas has been in the works since in the beginning. And so I'm very passionate about helping people think about it that way. And I think it's a really easy, you know, when we start approaching it that way, it becomes a really easy in for us as Christians to like share the full gospel. No, you're right. You could share the full story of God. So you mentioned Genesis 3.15, yep. but that's kind of the Adam and Eve story. So yep. can you explain how that kicks off Christmas then? Yeah, because it's in it's in Genesis 3.15 where in the response to the fall of mankind, God speaks and it's his response to what had just happened. And he, he makes the promise then that they, he's going to send, a child is going to come. In most translations says the seed of woman. Mm-hmm. But a child is going to come. And it's going to be that child who the serpent's going to strike at his heel, but he is going to crush the serpent's skull. Now, biblical scholars for centuries have referred to that as the proto-evangelion. That's the first gospel. Yeah. That is when God said, I am going to send one, essentially in my translation, you could call it, I promise to send one in my time who is going to be the answer and the solution for what you just did, the answer and solution for Satan's sin and death in my time he's coming. So that's that's where this begins. So it begins right in Genesis, Proto-Evangelion, the, the first like pronouncement of, of the promise. Yes. Right? So then where do you take your audience from there? Is that kind of where you start? I, as far I mean, as the story, or I if actually, you're sharing this, I or? start with the words in the beginning because if you we don't understand the context of the story, right? We're not going to understand the weight of that promise that God made, or the weight of how dark the fall was, right? How devastating that moment actually is, and what it fully represents for life moving forward. And I always tell people, even if you're a non-Christian. I think, I truly believe with all my heart, even if you're a non-Christian, everybody should read the Bible. Mm-hmm. Why, why would you say that? Because, I mean, the book, one, it's the best-selling book of all time. No text or piece of literature, if you want to just refer to it as that, has impacted the world like the Bible has. It has formed and shaped more cultures than any other text. And beyond those things, I think once you start to see the Bible as one seamless story, mm-hmm. and once you can taste that and you see that it's actually, a, that's true, I'm not making a statement that's based off of my faith, that's actually a thing, mm-hmm. and then you understand how the Bible was composed and brought together, I think there's aspects there that would make anyone think, I'd be crazy not to read this story. Because you tell me about a book that has been written by over 30 different people who used three different languages and were separated by not just hundreds of kilometers of distance, but thousands, like 1,500 years yeah. gap. And then all of their writings and works were brought together. 
and it writes one seamless, piercing novel that builds off of itself and fulfills what had been previously written, not to mention the fact that some of them didn't even know that other people were writing at the same time and didn't know what they were writing, and now all their work comes together and it's one seamless story. Tell me which piece of literature today has been composed that way. Totally. It's a com- I, could, I couldn't name one. That it's just, compelling. Yeah, it is really compelling. And I think also another reason people, maybe even just maybe people who aren't Christians would read it, they, they enjoy the story. Uh, maybe they pick it up for the Christmas story. But I think the we do all, inside of all of us, want to learn and grow in wisdom. And so even just picking up the Bible, you're like, well, there's like, what we would describe as Christians as wisdom literature. Yeah. But they can read through like some of the Proverbs and be like, that's, that's, that's good advice. You know, you read through some of these stories and some of the heroes of the faith. You're like, well, if I can model my life after this, this could go well for me. And that's, yeah. that's at a very surface level for someone who doesn't re- even know the story of God. Yep. Yeah. So then tell me more then about how does this all move in towards Christmas then? I mean, I just, I starting with Genesis, yep. I build and because uh, I truly believe, like, that's obviously the climax of the story, right? Mm-hmm. This family has been waiting. And and what I talk about a lot throughout the event is, like, the patience that God had with yeah. the people. Um, I'll often say, if you, were, if you were reading the Bible, like, as I'm doing an event, I'll often challenge the audience. I'll say, let's pretend, even if you know where the story's going and you know what's about to happen, let's pretend that you're getting this story one chapter at a time. Yeah. And you don't know how God's going to respond during certain pauses. I'm telling you, there are points in the story where I'm like, if I stopped and then I open up the book the next day and I realize it's the last chapter because God finally said, I'm done with these people. I'm washing my hands of them and I'm walking away. Yeah. There is multiple points where I no one could blame him for doing that. Mm-hmm. But he's always in this relentless pursuit of us and the promise that he made. So I build it so that people can truly, I hope, taste and start to understand the weight of what Jesus' birth would have meant. Like the electric shock that would have went through their society at that time. It's like dang, those people would have been in shock thinking like, is this really him? I firmly believe that until you understand the Context of where the story, the whole biblical narrative is, until you understand where and at what point in that story Jesus comes onto the scene, Mm -hmm. you'll never fully properly understand why cities emptied at the sound of his name and why people walked for miles to be near him and skip meals just to stay beside him. And I used to, I grew up in the church. I used to ignorantly think it was because he was pulling off miracles. Right. But it wasn't that. It was because in the context of the story, and these people knew their story. They were taught it. Some kids were going to school in the synagogues from the ages of 5 to 20, having the Torah memorized by the time they're 10 years old. They knew that they had a Messiah who was promised to come. Mm -hmm. So they were flocking and flooding to see Jesus because you would have had to see with your own eyes, could he really be the one? Mm -hmm. And then I guess when news spreads... And, and they're an oral tradition. Right? Yeah. People around that time would know. And, and of course they're going to go and see. It's like that. I just imagine. I remember the woman at the well after Jesus tells all these things about the woman at the well. Yeah. Right? And then he basically has this moment with her and, and then she goes away. 
she tells everyone else and she says, could this be the Messiah? This, you, you encounter God and it's uh, undeniable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's amazing. And I, I was just, what you were saying earlier, I was reading Deuteronomy this morning where basically it's the recounting. He gives the Ten Commandments, but then he's also recounting and saying the fact that like, you know, I was so angry with you uh, on top of the mountain. He's like, you guys were too afraid to come up and, and face me on the mountain, so only Moses went. But you had the whole golden calf incident yep. where you see humanity just rebel against God again. Yep. And uh, I think you're onto something about tying that into the Christmas story because it's maybe we feel like it's too long, but it's important to be reminded of the entire story of God. Of course. How applicable all of these moments in that story I mean, here's the thing. Is there more technology today than there was back then? Absolutely. But the human heart hasn't changed. No, it hasn't. We're still struggling with the same things that caused the Israelites to make the mistakes that they did throughout the context of their story. Yet we have this uh, generational snobbery. You know, every generation thinks they're so much better than the one before them Mm -hmm. just because of some advances in technology. And we don't sit back and go, well, but we still have the same sinful heart. Yeah. There's so much in the Bible, and I don't care if they were riding donkeys and not Teslas. Right. The heart was still the same. Yeah. Well, and Teslas will look stupid in 100 years, you know what I mean? Right. They'll look down on the next generation. and Yeah, and so, yeah. Yeah, I, I did a history degree, and that's one of the patterns I noticed, was you just see humans make the same mistakes over yep. and over again. It just looks different. Yeah. But you're so right. And, and again, that goes back to the fall. Of Adam and Eve. It's just the human condition. Yep. Um, and so I guess, yeah, you trace it through, you see it through the the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, right? God's yep. people, he rescues them out of Pharaoh's hands. Uh, but out of, with an outstretched arm, God uh, rips them out of Pharaoh's grip, right? Yep. And, and humiliates Pharaoh. And then you're like, wow, they should now worship him. And they don't. And idols get in the way. Yep. And... I mean, how many modern idols are there these days, hey? Yeah. Yeah. We might not refer to them as that. You know, back then it was maybe more blatant, but oh, yeah, there's idols everywhere, and they're still the same ones, you know, of money, sex, power, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And all of that is seen as, like, this is the stuff you should pursue in our current culture, in our current day, right? Yeah. And so, and I just even think about we were talking about you know, um, people who just never grew up in church, they, they don't know that they are slaves to those idols. You know what I mean? Like they, they have no idea. So, so the story continues, right? We are, we're moving through Old Testament Torah. Where do you see the, the story? How does the Christmas story play in with like King David? Because here's another big character, mm-hmm. right? How would you explain to someone that King David is actually part of the Christmas story? Well, it was God's promise to King David well, he was king. He said that the child, that promised child is going to come through David's throne. Like he's in David's lineage. Mm-hmm. That's how Matthew opens up. It opens up with the family tree of Jesus. And who's on there? But King David, you know, despite his flaws, God made a promise to him and said, you, your kingdom will be forever mm-hmm. because I'm going to send the king of kings to rule and reign on the throne of David. So it's like he's part of the promise. That's how the entire story is connected seamlessly. Mm-hmm. It's by the promise that God made in Genesis 3.15 combined with the 
with I always highlight the four primary promises that he would then make to Abraham that mm-hmm. would then pass on to Isaac and Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, and stick with that family throughout the rest of the story. Uh, what is the what are the four promises you're referring to? So the four primary promises that God would go and make to Abraham would be that he would have descendants like the sands of the seas and the stars of the sky, yeah. that he would have his own son, okay. like from him and his wife, and that they would inherit their own land, that they had received the promised land. And in the context of the story, when these promises are all made, they're just like impossible. Oh, yeah. They're impossibilities Well, to Abraham's receive. old. Like yeah. old guy's like, I can't have kids. Yeah. I'm like 90 or something. You know? Yeah. 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 He's like, that's impossible. And my wife's barren. Yeah. So it's like, this has never been a thing. Now you're telling me not only am I going to have a kid, that's going to springboard into a family of people, of descendants that's more numerous than the sands of the sea. Okay. <laughs> then he's going to have his own land, right. which at this point, him and his predecessors had all just been living as aliens in foreign land. Yeah. So that's unthinkable. And then he makes the greatest promise of all. God says, through you, the entire world is going to be blessed. And in that promise, what God is take doing is he's taking the story back to Genesis 3.15. He's saying, Abraham, that promised seed that I said I was going to send to the world, I'm sending him through your family line. I mean, it's hard for us to comprehend, but it would almost be like if God came to one of us and said, one day one of your descendants is going to cure every known cancer on the planet. Wow. So imagine walking with that promise, not knowing when, but walking with that promise for like generations. Yeah. Yeah, that would be kind of unnerving. Hey, because like you're like, whoa, who am I to, yeah, right? to do that? Like I'm not, I'm no one special. Yeah. So then to have that promise, that weight of that, which you got to, you got to wonder like, do, do people doubt the promise, even in, in Jesus' own line, right? They're like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, they're at school. Kids are like, hey, you're in the line of David, right? Like, yeah. you know, the seed's supposed to go through you. You can just imagine that they're like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm like you. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm like, my life's a disaster just like yours. Yeah. And none of us are, are perfect in that sense. Right? Well, of course they doubted, like right down to Jesus himself. There's this story where... It says, and I can't remember exactly the the chapter and verse, but where Jesus is speaking and it says his mother and siblings come. Oh, yeah. And they're basically like, the wording is they're basically like, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, like, tone it down, Jesus. Like, like you're come with us right us. now because you're, yeah. you're like, you're loco. Yeah, yeah. And then it wasn't until after he's resurrected that his brother's like, well, I'm going to head up the church here in Jerusalem now because now I believe. Totally. And that's the thing. Like, once again, you go back to the story. That's why I got to read it because I, I do too. Right. And I'm not saying I've had like the burning, a burning bush moment, but I felt things in my life, you know, I mean, maybe you've heard this classic saying, don't forget in the dark, what you, what was revealed to you in the light. Right. And I think we all have that, whether it was a specific promise that God was going to do something for us, or even just a general promise that he has good things in store for us and that he's always there. We always tend to forget these things. Every one of us has a story and that's a good thing. But then we, we tend to view our story as the most important story. But when you become a Christian, when you like, and maybe we, we forget that, but when you're reminded that actually, Hey, we're part of God's story, mm-hmm. we're part of the entire story. That's, that's at the beginning and then leading up to Christmas and then beyond. Yeah. Right. 
the, that entire story, we have an opportunity now to enter into his story. Yep. So our story has significance because it's now tied into his big story. And so, like, the work you're doing now uh, and, and the work every single one of us, like, it, as we go to our workplace as Christians is that same idea that, like, our story is reflecting the grand story. And mm-hmm. we now participate in the story and helping people remember that and, and bring people back to the story. One of the things I think about and one of the reasons I also, like, am a Christian is I look at the legacy of that. And I'm like, this, and, and kind of you touched on this changed the world. Yeah. Like it completely changed the world. And so that's worthy of my attention. So I, I would even say like, yeah, to people who, who aren't Christians, the, the Bible is deeply, has transformed the world because of this continuing story that God has been moving. And like interact with that and think deeply about that. It's okay to think deeply about significant things. Yeah. And, and to not be scared. I find that so many people get so, like their walls come up right away when someone starts talking about the Bible and what I really try to do through my Christmas events, because I'm fully aware that there's going to be non-Christians there. People love to bring their friends to Christmas events. Yes, and people love, like, it's a a tradition. You hear about a Christmas outreach or you hear about a Christmas event, and there's going to be music and whatever. You want to go, you want to hang out, you want to mingle, you want to get, it helps you get into the Christmas spirit, helps you feel good. So I'm aware that there's going to be these people there who may not go to church on a regular basis. And I find that so often these people, they'll just put up walls right away and they won't even really listen to what's being shared. Mm -hmm. And so I always challenge them at the beginning of almost every time I speak, I always just say, are you brave enough to just let the story tell itself? That's all I tell them. Cause that's, that's all I'm doing really. Yeah. All I'm doing is sharing a story. And I say, are you brave enough to just let this story tell itself? And then I can see that people don't really understand what I'm saying. And I just say, well, let me put it this way. If we were to read Romeo and Juliet and I was to be up here sharing on stage Romeo and Juliet and everyone's usually semi-familiar with the story. I said, if I get to the point in the story where I mention that the Montagues and the Capulets are two families that hate one another, I said, you couldn't sit there and go, oh, I'm just going to leave that part out because... I don't like the thought of two families fighting. Sure. The second you take that out of the story, you drain the story of its passion. Yeah. You drain the rest of the context of the story of what it fully means and the depths of it starts to be lessened and the forbiddenness of their love starts to be lost. As soon as you start doing that, mm. you can't do that with the Bible either. Be brave enough to just let this story tell itself. So if the story says that God created the heavens and the earth, he created you out of love, for love, for an intimate relationship with him, and you've fallen away from that, and now he's chasing after you to restore that? Yeah. Can you just for tonight let that actually be the story? Totally. Yeah, like, you're not, I'm not here to convert you. I'm just wanting to tell the story. Yeah. Like, just consider that. Just consider that this is actually what's in the book. Yeah. Right? Like, and this is a, this is a level of reading comprehension we've embraced since kindergarten oh yeah right when the berenstein bears say there's mama and papa bear i don't go there's no mama bear yeah and none of the books make sense totally but we do that to the bible yeah so i just want people to come and be like the christmas story okay just hear it even if it's one time are you brave enough to hear it one time yeah how it actually is beginning yeah. to end 
I love that. So then let me ask you this then, as I think we're kind of coming to the close of our time. Every Christmas I tend to, often I'll, I'll hone in on one aspect of the Christmas story that like, it just, it changes for me. One year I'm like, man, he's the king, you yeah. know, and, and I just keep remembering that. Other times it's, it's him being, you know, like this is the, a baby who comes and is so lowly and humble. Yeah. Uh, this year for me, it's been, and I want to ask what it is for you this year, just kind of what you've been reflecting on Christmas, but I was doing a study uh, last night. We were doing Hebrews and learning about that, you know, Jesus is the high priest who comes. Mm-hmm. And that in chapter five, verse two, it talks about the high priest being the high priests who, because he'll point to Christ, but he's saying the people who were acting as the high priests had to deal gently with those who were going astray. Right, and that was that showed that they had compassion for their people. But the most genuine high priests of the Old Testament had genuine compassion for their people, knowing mm. that we do go astray. So they had to confess their own sins before they went into the temple, as well, because they also know I'm just like them. Yeah. Then you have Jesus, the great high priest, who also is like I understand, like that you guys like we're all like everyone's disasters. Obviously, Jesus never gives into the sin, but he's very aware. He can sympathize with the weakness there. But then you have the thing I just keep thinking about this Christmas is the idea of like gentle, where other kings do the most violent things to, to, to bring peace. They'll, they'll do violent things to other people. Jesus does the most, he has the most violent thing done to him so that there can be peace. And he, you know, this, he shows this gentleness. Mm-hmm. His whole life is humble and gentle. And yeah, he tosses the temple tables, but like it all builds to this point where he gets killed because he's claimed he's God. Mm-hmm. And, but that the way he went about it was the most gentle way. And Christmas is like the beginning of his life that displays that. So that's what I've been thinking about a lot as mm-hmm. Christmas. What, I mean, what is that for you this year that you've just been ringing around in your mind or maybe it's a few things? One thing, and honestly, I got I to gotta tell you, this is, this just lands every single Christmas for me, hasn't not made me tear up for the last five to six years. Mm. But there's one line in O Holy Night that just wrecks me. Is it fall on your knees? No. That one kills me. Go ahead. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. I think that is a one to two sentence encapsulation Mm -hmm. of the entire story. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that line. And that's, I'm, I think about it every Christmas season. Can't get over it. Yeah. Can't sing it without crying. Dude, I know. I, I, that's the, one of the most moving songs. In yeah. So Holy Night. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we entered into that Christmas story and just pulled so much out. Yeah. And I love what you're doing. I'm, I'm just so excited that you get to go share that because there's so many layers to it. And yeah, you're right. We do forget the, the great story. So. Um, appreciate you coming on, Ross, and, and being here. Merry Christmas. And Happy New Year. I'm really glad that Ross was able to join us and that we could spend some time discussing the whole story of the Bible and of Christmas. It really is a great time of year to reflect on the importance that Christmas has when it comes to our faith. If you'd like more information on Ross's ministry or his book, you can go to www.q830.com to find out more or follow him on Instagram, and we'll have all of that up on the episode page online as well. I hope you join us next week for a new episode with Isaac and guest Alexandra Kirkendale, taking some more time to talk about the holiday season and her book, Loving My Actual Christmas.
Thanks so much for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes and Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. 